Hello and welcome to the Women Count podcast, the show that takes a close look at the skills and expertise of inspiring female leaders and data scientists. It was created because every story shared is a chance to make someone feel connected, inspired, educated and uplifted. In this series, we are reaching out to women that we admire in the data industry. They share their journey of success, and we ask about the common leadership and data challenges experienced in their field. There are two main streams of the podcast, one centered around leadership and the other technical focused. This is a podcast that examines a huge range of experiences in the workforce from across the globe. I'm Charmaine McGowan, the host of the technical stream of the Women Count podcast. Welcome. Welcome, my wonderful listener. This is the technical stream of the Women Count podcast. I'm your host, Charmaine McGowan, bringing you stories from the women who see data science as their adventure playground. Now, my guest today is Monica Castillo. Monica is a data analyst at the Workplace Gender Equality Agency in Sydney, Australia, and she has been a data professional for a little over six years. Now, Monica started her journey as a data enthusiast whilst working towards her social research degree. It was there at the University of New South Wales where Monica really saw her passion for politics and diplomacy, but was really held back by a fear of mathematics. Whilst doing the course, she really lent into this fear and she undertook an introductory course in statistics. And surprisingly to her, she felt this rush of enthusiasm for data. And it's no surprise to me, but (laughs) she saw how powerful it was to drive today's social and political policies, which she is passionate about, particularly gender equality. Monica has really taken to this field of research and it was underpinned by her experiences in the Model United Nations. This is a simulation of the UN General Assembly, where students step into the shoes of ambassadors and learn about diplomacy and international relations. Following this, Monica found herself at the Sachs Institute, which is a non-profit organization and a center of excellence, whose mission is to improve health services and programs through sound research in policy making. This experience really helped Monica understand the bridge between health researchers and policymakers. And more recently, Monica has been working with gender data at her workplace, and she has played a pivotal part at analyzing and creating algorithms that report on the latest gender pay gap figures. Recent data from the ABS shows that women are paid 14% less than men, where the average woman takes home about 25K less than a male counterpart. That's enough to cover your entire tuition at a university. Talk about getting the leg up. Whilst this is caused by many factors, there are certainly many solutions. One of those being improving workplace flexibility to accommodate care responsibilities. But hey, you don't wanna hear from me all day. Let's hear from the lady herself who is shining the light on the most important social issues of today. Welcome to the show, Monica. 
How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, lovely to be here. I'm so honored to be part of um, your podcast, and I would love to talk about my career in Dara and how it all started. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I thought we'd start the podcast with a little bit about you, what drives you into data science, and a little bit about what is next for you in the future. Let's just talk about you. Can you talk about what you do now in your current role and 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 what you do to help with social research? Yeah, sure. So I'm currently a data analyst in the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, which is located in Sydney, Australia. And what we do is that we're a statutory agency. So we are governed by a legislation and compliance reporting. And under the legislation, we look at six indicators to sort of improve the gender equality within employment and the workplace. So that includes looking at the gender workforce composition, the total remuneration um, of salaries, all the way up to understanding about sexual harassment based in the workplace and also discrimination. So in my role, I look at a variety of different things. I look at how the gender pay um, gap um, has affected the way that the workforce composition and throughout time. I look at the sort of compliance reporting. So compliance reporting in the workplace gender equality involves around looking at over about with organizations in the private sector of 100 employees. And basically we ask employees how they improve gender equality. So I said in the indicators before we ask them questions about their sort of policies and strategies, we also look at ways that um, they can be improved with the data. And also we do benchmarking compared to different industries. So for me, in my role, I look at everything on cycle from data collection, data cleaning, and data analysis, and also my favorite part, data visualizations and presenting the data. And yeah, so I've been in the agency for a couple of months now, but previously I used to work in public health and also worked in social services and with NGOs as well. It just means that you clearly have a lot of background and a lot of education behind you. So yeah, do you want to tell me a little bit about where did this all stem from? It didn't just come out of thin air. <laughs> no, it didn't. So my sort of background is quite interesting compared to a lot of people who worked in analytics or data science. So I started university with a Bachelor of Social Work at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. And I did that degree because I wanted to really help people. Like when I was in high school, I really loved doing geography or learning about social science. And I was reading the newspaper when I was 14 because my mom was always um, getting the newspaper and I was just really fascinated about what was happening in the world. So in an early age, you really were already familiar with social constructs, which really helped shape your passion for social research. And that really drew me to wanting to learn how to help people and understand them through social work. And while I really, really enjoyed doing the degree, halfway through, I sort of realized that it wasn't for me. I really wanted to do something more in policy or research, which led me to do a Bachelor of Social Research and Policy at the same university. And the reason why I wanted to do that is one, because 
half of my course credit was able to be transferred into that degree and to it was, was aligned to my interests at the time. You are a smart cookie. Well, I was, <laughs> <laughs> am I really smart? But I think that kind of is driven by my passion and also wanting to help people in that way. And I've always had this passion about helping people, but I never really knew what type of career I wanted to do. I've always been interested in sort of helping people with decisions and helping people make smart choices. Because for me personally, I can't make a decision properly unless I need some sort of help from people or even the internet. So when I was factual type, pretty much, yeah, yeah, factual type, I need someone to give me evidence. Always, I'm always asking questions being, I need more information. You know, when you were younger, were you the the type of kid that used to get on your mom and dad's nerves and always ask, oh, but why? But why? Yeah, pretty (laughs) much. I always always think about this. Like when I was eight, I I remember I've always asked my mom questions and really annoy her on the train. And I think she got to the point being, you need to stop asking me questions. But I'm why? Why? I really want to know what's going on. So that sort of curiosity kind of led into my third year of university. And at the time in my semester one, I was doing an introduction to um, quantitative um, research, which is basically a first year statistics course. And at the time as well, I was so nervous about doing this course because I, I must admit, I wasn't really good at maths at high school. I was pretty average in maths. And I think Same maths. Here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and maths scares me quite a bit. What but was it in the maths part that really scared you? I think it's like you have to make sure that what your answer is right. I think maths is always yes. the thing where it's, it's very like it's either right or wrong. Pretty much, yeah. There's only a small stream of abstract maths. Mm. Most of it, it is, it's it's literally ones and zeros. (laughs) Pretty much. And I think that sort of really threw me off of doing any sort of maths after high school. I, I, I did a very general maths where you learned basic everyday maths, but I never really got into that until probably in university. When I was doing the statistics course, I was I said I was really scared I was oh no I have to do this statistics course to pass my university degree and I remember the time I was actually buying a textbook from a student um, who did the course previously and she said this is one of the hardest courses that you have to do for uh, this particular degree and I'm like great I need to really pass this course so he really did put the fear of maths yeah, into you pretty much I think because I <laughs> how rude how how the most of the students in my degree were basically the sort of social science they love essays they love arguing they love sort of I was terrible at debate <laughs> yeah debating and I was the same as well I did that with extracurricular activities and I really loved sort of making an argument and point in my classes but I sort of figured that the best way to sort of do well in this course is to actually study it and study it well enough so for me to pass. But I think throughout the course, when I was doing this introduction to, uh, when I was doing this particular course, I sort of realized that actually I really like it and I really enjoyed it. And it wasn't because I sort of had this fear. The fear was there, but it kind of, kind of grew, it kind of went away And I sort of realized that actually this sort of statistics and social science and all of this makes sense because, yeah, a lot of statistics are very uncertain. And oftentimes 
I think it's really important to sort of evaluate where the statistics come from. So I remember one night I was actually looking at this particular sort of what does data or social science and how you combine them together because I was really interested in maybe pursuing a career in it or looking further into it and then I that's how I come across data science by literally google searching realized that data science is about data and informing data that informs decision making and I knew straight away that that was that was the point where I'm like I really want to pursue this because I knew there was a market for this. I haven't really heard about social science or policy and data together. Most of the time, data is, think about maths or engineering or computer science. And when I think of policy, I think of it maybe qualitative research or understanding people's perspectives. But I really wanted to adventure sort of this really new world. And I was bugging a lot of people about it. At the time, I was asking my lecturers about it, but what's data science? I want to know what data science is. And they didn't actually give me an explanation of what it is. It's but... a relatively new, newish term. Yeah, it is. gaining traction now. Yeah. Um, you know, like I'm noticing the roles are starting to say data analyst or mm. data scientist. And you've got all the different streams like data architect and engineer. And yeah. before it was just like, you were either the statistician or you weren't, or you were a researcher. Pretty much. And that's an interesting sort of, so the topic that we've been discussing, particularly your social science, about how do you how do you kind of infuse them together? Because you can be both. And I think that's sort of what I wanted to do in my career. But in terms of how I sort of gain more information about data science, because yeah, you're right, it is about it is about at least 10, 15 years old at the moment, from what I understand of it. But I sort of had, I befriended somebody who was doing computer science and engineering at university. And the way that I sort of saw him like do programming and coding in the faculty, I was, this is amazing. I want to do something like this. This looks fun and creative. And I remember sort of the pinpoint moment where I'm like, I think I know what I want to do this more further is when I was speaking to another student who was doing like sort of a similar degree as my friend, computer science. And he actually taught me how to do Hello World, which is kind of like the most basic code. And at the time as well, I was like, like, oh, I don't know if I should be doing this or I don't know what I'm what be doing. What program was it that you were doing Hello World in? I think I was C, C plus or something oh, like that. I can't, I can't remember, but I definitely, I could not remember because at the time I was like, I don't know which program I'm using. You just remember Hello World. Yeah, yeah, Hello World. <laughs> and because that, and, and I sort of, he told me all the steps of how to do Hello World in this particular program. And once I executed and ran the sort of code, he said to me, I think you got something here. So basically you have an early start. You had an advocate for you straight away. Do you find that that's important in your kind of everyday career, guide you in the right direction? Yeah. And I feel like that's happened throughout my career where I've asked so many questions. That sort of curiosity and sort of painstaking asking questions has really helped me sort of gain more information about data science or data analytics. So after I finished my university degree, I sort of did a few internships, but my first sort of professional job was working as a project administrator at a public health research institute called the Sachs Institute, which is located in Sydney as well. And what they do is that they use research to inform policy making, which is exactly what I wanted to do in my, with my degree, but the team that I was in was called Decision Analytics, which they use computer simulation modeling 
to help inform policymaking in a variety of different health um, issues. So computer simulation modeling is basically using a program to run different scenarios and um, sort of asking assumptions based oh, on that. Like so, hypothesis testing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it's, it's very experimental. It's very much like the computer runs based on different formulas or different parameters and they, it generates hundreds and hundreds of different sort of tests. And for me, when I come from a social science background, not an engineering background, I'm just like, whatever I got myself into, how did I get, get here? But I think my colleagues who were from academia, they were researchers, they were biostatisticians or modelers, they really helped me understand how data is really important, especially in such a really really growing field of computer simulation modeling. And at the time as well, I was doing some data analysis for a lot of the simulation data. So they produce these big models that they're really fancy and I would do analytics for them. And I did a major project where involved looking at smoking and how it can actually, like how to decrease smoking within a particular um, um, territory in Australia. And Looking Absolutely. at the smoking rates, I remember doing the Australian Health Survey and the the comorbidities with smoking. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty poor, and so yeah, that is a huge. They call it a wicked issue because, and that's that's a lot of the terms they use. I'm um, like a wicked issue, a wicked problem. Being able to sort of identify how we can decrease the rate of smoking. So in that particular project, they would actually give me the simulation data and which has already been done. And then I would just go go through R, which at the time I was learning how to code in R. So I would be looking at like the internet, asking colleagues and looking at different... Stack Overflow is your favorite. Pretty much Stack Overflow is my favorite website for resourcing (laughs) (laughs) in in any situation about R. But Stackflow is definitely one and the R community is one as well. It sounds to me what you're saying is you really need to surround yourself with people that are smart, and you kind of mm. absorb it by osmosis. This <laughs> yeah, I think it's sort of, I was just really fortunate. At, I, I was, when I finished uni that I was given the opportunity to work in research, would really get set my, the foundations for me to really learn about um, data analytics and data science as well. And I honestly really do thank a lot of um, like my colleagues at the time at Decision Analytics who really helped me sort of bring out my potential in it because yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to actually sort of step into this world where sometimes your background or your knowledge is not exactly traditional. And I think I've always said this to people being, it's okay to sort of step into your comfort zone and try something new. And I've been very evident about that. And I've, I've, I think people, wow, that's really amazing that you, you can do that. So yeah, I think it's really important. And I was really lucky as well to just find this at the end of my university degree, where it's really, really fortunate for me to be like, okay, this is a niche area. I definitely can go into this. So yeah. That is so good. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. I mean, I think that is a real clear message is you just have to surround yourself with a community of people and you have to step outside that comfort zone. That's the, I feel, the only way that you can grow. Yeah, definitely. And even at work, I think the really great thing about this sort of area working in data is that it's always room to improve and always you're always learning something new. 
And for me, especially at work, there's always going to be a new way to do things or a new way to solve a problem or even finding an alternative to solve a data problem, which, but in data and, and particularly in statistics, there's always going to be different alternatives to look at things, which I, this is, which is the reason why I like it. And I think, yeah, it's something that I definitely love exploring different alternatives or different assumptions or understanding the world much more better through that. So when you're tackling a problem, what's your approach? What do I need to think about? What are the steps that I have to follow to be able to come to a solution? Yeah, I think for me, I think problem solving is sort of a big brain dump of things. I think I've always been a person who really likes to think of different things outside the box. And so you're exploratory. Yeah, pretty much. I think one of the things I really learned in social with my degree in, in social research and policy is that it's always good to have a notebook or jot down your ideas. And I did a major in sociology and anthropology, which actually emphasized a lot about critical thinking or thinking outside the box. And one of the things that they sort of really recommended was to write, to have a journal or to have a notebook to write down ideas. And at the time I was like, okay, I'm just doing this for my assignment. I might, I will keep it. But actual fact over the last sort of few months or even years when I do note writing, it makes sense to actually have a notebook because you bring out your ideas, you find different ways of thinking about the problem. And yeah, and oftentimes you can always go back and reflect being like, this is, this is one solution, but I can, maybe I can bring this to another solution. So yeah, I always find that works. I always find diagrams work as well. I'm a very visual person as well. So diagrams work for me, looking at workflows or understanding how it does things. So a lot of times I will look at how to looking at different models of how they work. So something like that. Like relationship often... models? Is that what you're Yeah, 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 yeah. So when I was looking at databases, I really loved the idea of how they kind of connect with all these relationships together. Yeah, so you got like you one to many, many to many. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was exposed yeah. to relational databases at ANU doing a, yeah. actually, I think it was called relational databases course. Yeah, it was, uh, we had to design our own entity model. And I was like, Oh my goodness, what is this? It, that, that was my fear. Like <laughs> fear. That was my fear. I thought, <laughs> I am no good at this. And Janelle, I absolutely loved it. It was and it it actually flowed onto my work. And it's actually one of the main components of dashboards for things like mm. Power BI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it makes sense because when I was working um as a project administrator at the Sachs Institute, one of the things that I really learned really well is how do you present data that's clear? and consistent and make sense to the audience. And that for me was dashboard. So I became like a dashboard wizard throughout my time there. And it was like learning how to craft information, learning how to summarize information and being able to sort of explain this information to key stakeholders and your target audience. And I still do that today when I'm working as an analyst. What does what type of information can I present today, or what kind of graphs or you know infographics can I present today that makes sense to the audience? So it's I interesting will, you said yeah. that because I, I've I've just come off a like a refresher course, and one of the things that they kind of were debating was what are dashboards really useful for? Are mm. they useful for framing up like a monitoring of KPIs? Or does it actually inform information that people can actually gain, gain insights from? But yeah, how, how do you get around that? 
Well, I think the first thing that I sort of ask myself, and this is sort of like the basis of data is what do you want to ask? What type of question do you want to ask the data? And as simple as it sounds, it makes makes sense in terms of what we do as um, analysts. So I always think if I have a dashboard, what type of question do I ask? And that's the thing that I always run in my head every time I do dashboards being like, what question do I ask? What information do I need? And it could be as simple as, for example, in my particular work, what is the gender pay gap with this organization? Oh, tell me about that. I think one of the main insights I find is that it's slowly progressing, but we're still not there yet. And I think organizations do recognize that there is a gap in several different places, but it's not only for women, but also men have also gaps as well. So for example, parental leave, it's often considered to be a female sort of thing, because obviously, because a woman or a biological woman will get pregnant, therefore they have a longer leave. But men as well, they would need to have parental leave as well. And there are there have been many organizations who have given men the opportunity to have longer leave. There's also been interesting this is actually really topical. Yeah, right? yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's what that's what was discussed today actually, that they were actually looking at looking at reviewing the maternity leave act, which which I think is a really important thing because We've seen there have been organizations, not in Australia, but around the world who sort of taken the forefront and actually make sure that maternity, parental leave is available for not just women, but men or people of different genders or identities. So yeah, it is it is a growing field as well. And there's been other sort of interests that we've been talking about recently. The Workplace Gender Equality Agency has released a flex paper that looks at flexibility within the workplace, which we have collected data throughout our normal reporting period. So each year, the agency asks private organizations with over 100 employees about their policies and strategies to improve gender equality in employment and the workplace. And we've seen a lot of the flexibility has increased within different industries, which I find really interesting as well. I'm really interested when you reviewing the Parental Leave Act, do you look at other countries, the Scandinavian countries, what are they doing? How, how are they closing the gap between that? Because what I understand is that those Nordic countries they tend to, instead of calling it kind of maternity leave, they just call it parental leave and whoever is the carer at the time gets that length of time off. Yeah, so there have been, in the agency, there have been a lot of different um, research resources and research that's been done. I know that the agency have have looked at the EO, sorry, the OCED data, I think. OECD, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> They have looked at that in the previous past, but not. I haven't looked at it recently, but yeah, they have looked at comparing different countries. There have been research out there that has compared the actual agency to other countries. But in terms of us, we often, for, we often look at within Australian organizations, but our, our agency have looked at other countries as well and policies. And that's, it's pretty recurring actually. So, so Monica, you've got all this information. What do you recommend are the best resources that have really helped you, you know, navigate that data science world? Yeah. So I've always been looking at books that sort of talk about data. And I think I really love reading nonfiction books since I was a kid. But one, the, one of the books that I just finished reading is called Calling 
BS by Carl Bergstrom and Javon Javin. Basically, they're talking about how you can detect sort of the sort of the BS in dire because oftentimes when we look at dire, we sometimes think, oh, that's just how it is, and then we never really question it. But they sort of asking like people to you know think kind of critically about how data is being presented and when I, I finished the book and I highly recommend it because yeah so yeah so calling BS looks at ways that how data can be thought out in a different perspective so it's sort of arguing that oftentimes when people look at data they look at data or at fact or statistics and they sort of think that's just how it is or it's just that's the truth but in actual fact, data can actually be manipulated or played at depending on which audience that they want to actually sort of impress. Yes, that does happen. Some visualizations can mislead. Yeah. And the thing about what I find really interesting about data in working in the field is that oftentimes data is somewhat misleading, can be somewhat misleading depending on what type of story you want to tell. And I think the authors really greatly emphasize how to actually detect that. And there's been really great ways of doing it, such as looking at the facts, looking at the actual data source, which I thought was a great sort of tip. There's ways to actually critical think about data because yeah, I think critical thinking is really lacking in data. As someone who works in, who's done social science, critical thinking is a big sort of aspect in understanding research or policy. And it sounds like something yeah. that a computer can't do. It's no, yeah, that's right. Human skill. Yeah, it's a big human skill. And I've always been, I always loved critical thinking, especially at university. And that sort of really helped me understand data from working in um, like, you know, public health and now working in government where critical thinking is an important aspect of understanding what to and how to interpret or make assumptions about the data presented. You've just got to choose the right, I guess, chart to give the right context. Yeah, pretty much. Like when you write a story or when you tell a story, there's often beginning, middle and end. Data is not just random images and to make graphs look pretty. Data has a story and has a grammar and structure to it. And that's really important to sort of emphasize. And this is what they were talking about. So yeah, highly recommend the book. And yeah, I feel like I'm going to give it to people who are very data driven. Or You don't just read it um, and just think that's that's true or think you need to really look at what's really behind the meaning of that particular text or really behind a particular idea and concept. Data, while data is very mathematical and statistical as well, there's a lot of ethics and in, involved in it. And I think that's really an interesting area about how data should be used wisely and ethically and not misrepresent people. Because if we do that, not using data, if we do that normally, then that's the bad thing. But when we use data, it's sort of like an interesting new way of thinking how we produce things ethically. So Monica, I'm going to ask you a question that I like to ask of my guests. And that is to take a time walk back to when Monica was a little girl dreaming about what she'd be when she grew up. What advice or tips would you like to share with her and any of the aspiring data enthusiasts that are listening today? 
do a job that you know gets out gets you out of bed every day it like it literally does (laughs) and I think yes yeah and I think when I when people say that to me about the careers I'm like you gotta be joking right that doesn't make sense but for me when you find a passion that makes sense and sort of is a niche area so for me as in social science and data science and policy making through data it really does make you get out of bed because at the end of the day, there are so many different opportunities and that you can actually explore in this area. And I'm really fortunate to work in a sort of agency so that is data-driven and actually are finding new ways to sort of help organizations to improve gender equality in the workplace. And I think in the future, we will see a mixture of policy making and data. And it's been evident, particularly in social enterprises where they use data to help people out with different NGOs or different organizations. So yeah, I do think it is, as what people say, it is the future. And I do believe that particularly in this field I'm in. I think that is a fantastic note to end on, Monica. Thank you so much. That's all right, no worries at all. That was my guest, Monica Castillo, whom I'd like to thank once again for being on the show. Didn't you just love those little nuggets of gold advice? What really resonated with me was to lean into your fear and be courageous. To some, maths can be a mind boggle, but all you need is a curious mind, embrace diversity because there are so many tracks to success and know that there is a community out there willing to help. I hope this podcast helps you reach your potential. Thank you for listening and tuning in to the Women Count podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode and would like to support us, please subscribe to the show and provide a star rating. Watch out for new episodes on leadership and data science. And if you want to connect with the tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womeninbigdata.org. Bye-bye for now.